You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Bible reading is from Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 to chapter 4 verse 6 and can be found on page 779 of the Pew Bibles. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, there will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace, All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction." going to try my microphone again. I promise I'll swap if it's not sounding too good. Keep that Bible open to the book of Malachi and that last chapter in a bit uh, because we're going to look at it in a bit of detail. Now if you've been with us in this series you might have just picked it up as we read that. Um, This is a book of prophecy right? So God speaks to Malachi and says Malachi you need to go and tell my people this message and I think it would be fair to say that God's been pretty grumpy throughout this message. He's not been too happy. Uh, so we're going to unpack that a little bit and work out uh, why he's grumpy, and then it gets a bit, bit cheerful at points in this bit, so we'll see uh, where the hope is as well. Now, uh, this does all connect with Christmas too, and uh, we'll work that out. But just, I'm going to do an impression of someone right now, and I want you to guess what I'm doing. Okay, so stick your hand up if you've got a good idea what's going on, right? Anyone got an idea? Yep. Yeah, yes, you. Be more specific. Yeah, so this is the day after Christmas. Somebody's walking down the street going, my bin's chockers, it's already overflowing. 
the lid's, lid's meant to close. It's not closing, like it's up like that because of all the stuff in it. And now I'm looking to see if there's space in other people's bins to di ditch all my rubbish, right? So as much as there's some awesome stuff that happens around Christmas, it does create a lot of rubbish. <laughs> and in this passage in the book of Malachi, one of the reasons God is so grumpy is a bunch of rubbish behavior that's been going on by the people of God. I would put it into two categories, rubbish religion and rubbish reverence. So rubbish religion is in the things that they did, the things that people do to work on their relationship with God. Uh, the practices, the rituals, all that sort of stuff, they were doing a terrible job at that. Phoning it in, half-hearted, no good job at religion, rubbish religion. Also reverence. Reverence is this idea that you honour and respect God, that you acknowledge that he is far bigger and more important than individual me is, I am. You know what I mean? So reverence, rubbish reverence, they're just not doing that. Instead of um, revering God, they are just whinging, they're complaining, all this sort of stuff. And so God's quite critical of this throughout the book and going, guys, this is not the way things should be. Like, uh, you know, we need to change the way we're behaving. But then late in chapter 3, he introduces a new group of people who are not sort of rubbish, but are actually considered and described as a treasured possession and they get a very good review now this could be a different group of people or it could be people who were previously in the rubbish group but have sort of reformed their ways and now they're doing better and so they're getting a, a good review or it could be you know a combination of both whatever the case in verse 16 of chapter 3 they're described like this then those who feared the lord talked with each other and the lord listened and heard uh, and then in verse 17, he describes them as my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. So this group, what's different about them is that they're getting together and talking about how they can do religion right and do reverence right. And it just shows you the value of talking to other believers about how to honour God. So if you're a believer in God, if you're a follower of Jesus... Never underestimate the value of just getting in conversations with other believers about how we do this following Jesus thing. And there's organised opportunities to do that in our church, particularly through life groups. encourage you to get into a life group next year if you weren't in one this year. But also just taking those opportunities wherever they come across. And valuing... I've got a few friends who are really good at just coming up and going, I've been thinking about this topic somewhat related to, to God can we have a chat about it? And I really value those friendships and, and then try and be that sort of friend for other people as well. So these people are talking about how they can honour God. And so this gets a good review from God. He's no longer considering them to be sort of you know rubbish and they're not getting a bad review. So then what he does, he goes, well, we've got this good group now. We've still got the rubbish group. And then there's this comparison between the two in chapter 3, verse 18 where God says, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So these two groups are compared. And then we're given an illustration for each of them as to how it's all going to end up for those groups. And the group that's still in the rubbish religion, rubbish reverence section, they don't get a great review. Chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming... It will burn like a furnace. 
All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day, uh, the day that is coming will set them on fire. So stubble's like ash, right? So this, this, they're basically saying this group's going to get burned down to, it, down to ashes. So a terrible outcome for this particular group and quite a, a graphic image or illustration that the Bible gives us um, as far as the consequences of that action. And then the second group uh, gets a sort of double illustration. So it says in verse 2, But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Some translations will say with healing in its wings. You know, the wings of the sun being the, the sunshine, right? So this is referring to the actual sun, like the big burning ball of gas that heats our planet. Uh, sometimes you might go, ah, son of righteousness, that sounds like Jesus. This is a Christmas sermon, you know, like this would be like sun, S-O-N. Uh, it's referring to the sun in the sky. However, the New Testament, because this is written before Jesus, the New Testament directly connects Jesus with this image of the son of righteousness in the book of Malachi. So if you did start to think about Jesus, that was actually quite a biblical thing for you to do. Well done. So uh, you've got this connection here, and it's like the sun's sunshine brings healing and brings righteousness to people. So when the sun shines on people, it makes them right with God. That's what righteousness means. And then it describes the people as being like well-fed calves who are frolicking. Now, Nick, do, we've had some technical issues here. Did we manage to get that, um, that video in of the, the calf frolicking? Let's give it a go. We'll see if it works. Whoa, the sound's working too. There it is, cute little calf having a great time. Frolicking around. Something about the word frolic, isn't there? That'll do. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Okay, so when a calf you know, is, is frolicking, it's very carefree. You know, adult cows can tend to be quite grumpy. Uh, you know, so my dad grew up on a dairy farm, so we've been around cows a fair bit over our, over our lifetime. And um, <laughs> cows tend to be sort of stinky and just sort of, you know, the adults just sort of stumble around chewing and, and mooing and being grumpy. But the calves, they're quite enthusiastic and they, and they sort of, you know, there's no worries for them. And this is why the word frolic is such a good one. It's just like, hey, no problems. So this is how the people who have been talking about God and who um, are respecting God and honouring him are described. Calves frolicking in the sunshine. And then, in a kind of grim way, the two illustrations are put together. Uh, now, our daughter Kira has a little um, adorable little habit um, that she gets into, which is she's a very good foot wiper on doormats, right? So whenever there's a, a mat in front of a door, uh, I've noticed that Kira will very thoroughly wipe her feet. doesn't matter if they're... doesn't have to have any dirt on the shoes, whatever. It could be perfectly clean shoes. She'll still get really into it. At Kinder, we create a big line behind us while she just sort of makes sure she really does... Um, Get, do, do a great wife. And so um, there's this image here of the calves like getting grit on their feet uh, and actually like the, they're actually getting the ash of the people who have been burned like on, on their feet and you know, they're going to need to wipe it off later. So it's this sort of really 
like you've got this, these frolicking calves, but then the grim image of, of the, the, the ash and the furnace and everything sort of being combined. And it's actually the people who are right with God dancing on the ashes of those who weren't. How does that make you feel? I'd expect your feelings about this would be quite dependent on your experience of life so far. So if you've had a, a typical Australian life, you know, you've grown up in Australia and you've had a pretty good run like a lot of Australians do, not everyone, some people have a lot of hardship in Australia, but the majority of Australians have a pretty good run, then I'd expect you don't really like the idea of anyone being a judge of you in particular, well, of you or anyone else. We don't really like it. That's why we have phrases like, she'll be right and no worries, because they're phrases that calm people down. You know, if someone's getting a bit judgy, then those are sort of the phrases you throw in to sort of calm that situation down and help them all relax. So we don't really like this idea. And then I've noticed if I, when I talk to older generations, uh, people who don't like the idea of judgment, particularly a judge who might punish someone or a God who might punish someone, it's often connected with a negative experience with maybe a family member, a religious family member or a religious teacher who was a very harsh person, who did a lot of harsh punishing, harsh things said to you and that sort of thing. And so understandably people go, well, if God being a judge who punishes and rewards means that he's like that person, that teacher I had or that family member, then I'm not sure I really want to believe in God or, or follow him. For younger generations, that's less likely to be the case, could still be the case, but parentings tend to be less strict these days. Parents, uh, teachers are not allowed to be anywhere near as strict as they were. And yet we've had the rise of the internet and the access to all these opinions that people have from all over the world. And really, pick any topic you want and you can probably find somebody on the internet saying something horribly mean and judgmental about it. You know, pick any minority group or even any majority group and you can find someone saying something horrendous about that group of people on the internet. It's not too hard. You'll find a video on YouTube or an article or something. And again, you might go, well, if God being a judge who punishes and rewards is like that person or that article, then I'm not sure I want to believe in that God. And so the temptation is that either we just don't believe in God at all or we really tone down these sort of passages in the Bible and really just bring our understanding of God down to like something like, you know, uh, God, God just, just loves us or, you know, love is love or something like that. We really simplify it so that we can avoid thinking about God's judgment of evil. In Australia, we're quite happy to think of God's refining fire, which is where just the bad bits of us get burnt up, but all the good stuff's left behind. And so we're like, yeah, I'm happy to become a better person. If God can't we do that, great. But this idea of a consuming fire that would destroy something, we're less comfortable with it. Culturally, it doesn't sit well with us. However, if we were to go to a different part of the world where life is not as easy, I'd expect the situation to be different. So if we were to go to a war-torn African country and you were to be living in a village, uh, you know, in a rural area, 
you would probably be living in a situation where at any time, on any particular day, an armed gang might come in with guns and pillage their way through your village, steal your kids to go and work in um, slavery, often making money for wealthy people living in countries like Australia, uh, violent sort of punishment for, for um, minor law-breaking or even just disagreement with them, um, all sorts of horrible violence um, and, and death could be done at any moment. There's no police, no, the police are not organised enough to protect you. The government is corrupt. Even if they wanted to protect you, they probably couldn't. They're too disorganised. Uh, they don't have enough resources. So if you were to go to someone living in a situation like that, who's experienced that sort of horrible evil happening in their life, and you were to say, well, God, God, God's not an, a judge. Like, God doesn't judge evil. He doesn't punish. He's just sort of loving and, and soft. He just loves everyone. Then they go, what are you talking about? You mean to tell me that God's got nothing to say about the evil that's been done to our community? About the horrible things that have happened in our country, that have happened to me and my family? God's got no response to that? They'd say, I don't want to follow a God like that. I'm not sure I believe in a God like that. So depending on your experience of life, your feelings about God being a judge will vary quite a lot. So what we need to do is come back to the Bible and actually go, well, what does the Bible actually tell us about God in a judge role? And it's very clear that God is the judge of everyone, everywhere, throughout history. He's a very, very patient judge. That's why when we do something evil, which we all do from time to time, he doesn't smack us down straight away. He's extremely patient. But throughout history, there have been periods where God has judged individuals or groups of people. And the Bible teaches that there will be an ultimate time somewhere in the future where everyone will be judged. And yes, God is a loving God. Absolutely. God absolutely loves every person in this room. No doubt about that. The Bible clearly teaches that. Jesus confirmed in amazing ways that God loves us. Jesus also confirmed that God is a judge. He did both. So, this is why we need Christmas. The fact that God is a judge and God does punish evil is a key reason why we need Christmas, why we needed Jesus to come to live as one of us, to die and to take our sin away and to rise again to give us new life and freedom to be in relationship with God. Verse 16 of Malachi chapter 3 does give us a hint of it. In the second part of that verse, it talks about a scroll of remembrance being written in God's presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. So there's this list of names of people who are in the treasured possession group, the talking people who are chatting to each other about how they can honour God. There's a list of names of those people in that group. And you go, well, how did they get the name on, their name on that list? Was it through perfect moral behaviour? No. Was it through flawless religious practice? just doing the church thing perfectly. No, that's not what's described there. 
What's described is um, those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. Fear here not being like a running from the axe murderer sort of fear, but a, a reverent fear, you know, a respect for the bigness of God, the power of God, understanding our place as being nowhere near as powerful as him. Um, so it's people who honour God who get on that list. Now, I'm sure that played out in their actions. I'm sure it wasn't them just saying, I honour God, but also that they lived it out. But it's not their perfect moral performance or living up to a certain standard that gets them on that list. It's their attitude and their relationship towards God. That's the key. And so when Jesus comes, he just, he just confirms all that and emphasises the importance of relationship and our, and our attitude towards God as the most important thing when it comes to God's judgment. He says, yes, relationship with God is the thing. If you are in a good relationship with God, then judgment is going to go well for you. You can have that relationship with God through Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again for us so that we could be set free from our sins. And that when we um, have that relationship through Jesus, we receive God's grace. Grace, one of the best words in the English language. It means an undeserved loving gift. And that's really what Christmas is, is a gift to the world that we did not deserve, that God would come and deal with our sin problem, deal with our evil problem by sending his own son as a sacrifice. Nobody needs to fear the furnace because of what Jesus has done. Nobody needs to be ducking their head their whole life, wondering if they're going to be burned by God at this ultimate end. And, you know, whether the, like, you know, it's an, an illustration, right? So who knows how, exactly how it'll work out. But it's bad, right? It's a, it's a bad result if, if you're in that, um, that furnace category. But we don't need to fear that because of Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus, we can have full confidence that our relationship with God is what is going to mean that we're going to be that treasured possession and the ones who are healed by his sunlight, if we pick up that, that illustration again. I want to share with you the last, version, last verse of the Old Testament and then the last version, the verse of the New Testament. I'm going to ask the band to come up while I do that. Because the book of Malachi is a, is, it's the last book in the Christian Old Testament anyway. And it's, it's a warning book. It wants us to know that God is a judge and to, to be concerned about judgment and not just to have no idea about it or to ignore it. And it does have some hope in there with this positive illustration of um, the sun and the calves and so on but it finishes with a bit of a gut punch. The last verse of the book of Malachi is, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's how the Old Testament finishes, right? But we've got to remember, on the next page is the New Testament. And we start with the story of Jesus' birth. Well, and the events surrounding Jesus' birth. And if you fast forward to the end of the New Testament, which is after Jesus' lived and died and rose again after he sent his spirit into the world. Um, this is the final verse of the, the entire Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. The undeserved 
loving gift of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. That's what Christmas achieved. That's the different difference between a faith without Jesus and a faith with Jesus. Now, there is hints of this throughout the Old Testament, so I'm not trying to present that we had one faith in the Old Testament and then it was completely different in the next. But Jesus completed the picture. He, he filled the whole thing in. And that's why we celebrate Christmas each year. We're going to sing one of the famous Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there is a, this song says a lot of things about God, sometimes in quite complicated ways. <laughs> and so as you sing it now, you know, you'll be probably familiar with the tune at the very least, but you'll be like, oh, this is actually saying a lot about God. Um, but the third verse actually directly references this passage in Malachi and draws that connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament and this idea of the sun of righteousness shining on us and connects that with Jesus. So keep an eye out for that. I want to invite you to stand as we sing and use this as an opportunity to engage your relationship with Jesus and, and really have a, a think and a reflect on why Jesus came and why that is just so central to what Christians believe. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.